Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, good morning. All right, let's see here. My name's Robert, one of the pastors of Crosspoint. The usual guy who's up here is off in California visiting his family. They've sold his childhood home, so he wanted to get one more walk through. Remember all the places that his brother beat him up, um, but at any rate, you want to pat him on the back when he gets back. Uh, he's feeling a little sentimental. So um, we are, uh, we've been working through for the last year and a half or so, we've been working through the book of Romans, and we decided for the summertime to take something of a break and look at a few other texts, maybe things that are a bit more specifically uh, relevant to, to Crosspoint in particular. Um, today, we are in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 8. It's a really well-known passage, uh, especially in, in Proverbs. It's probably one that many of you have memorized at some point in your life. Um, I'm excited in particular to be preaching through Proverbs because I don't think we have preached a sermon on a Proverbs text in the history of Crosspoint, I know Proverbs has come into sermons, but I don't think we've actually zeroed in on one of the, the texts of Proverbs. So I'm excited to add that to the, to the library. Um, but I'm also excited, and I hope that one of the fruits of this sermon will be that you walk away eager to read the book of Proverbs for yourself. Um, maybe you haven't read it before. You haven't read it in a long time, but I, I would love to, uh, to, to hear that. Um, the people of Crosspoint walked away thinking Proverbs is something not just that I should read, but that you ought to make a regular part of your reading. Um, in this day and age, we're always looking for quick, pithy wisdom statements. And Twitter wishes that's what it was, and Facebook can only dream of being that. But, but the book of Proverbs is the original tweet storm. And it just, the, the Lord unfolds all of his wisdom on his people um, the first 10 chapters are much more broad than maybe what you're thinking about when it comes to those little one-liner statements that we find so often in the back half of Proverbs. And so right now we're in that first half. We're in the first, uh, within the first 10 chapters in chapter three. This is the wisdom of a father to a son, which I think is appropriate on Father's Day in particular. Um, this is the, the wisdom of the Lord as though he is speaking to us, his children, um, giving us guidance for how to live the best life. Not in a Joel Osteen sense. I mean, in a real biblical sense, the, the way that the Lord has designed our lives to go. How can we live in a way that pleases him and that is truly um, happy? And, and I think Proverbs gives us time and time again wisdom um, in, that, in that way. So let me read this passage, and then I'm going to pray. I've got a few points, and... Um, and we'll, we'll see where we go. So starting in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we, um, I am, am mindful of your words to Peter when you told him that 
loving you meant that he should feed your sheep. And I pray that this morning, as we gather around your word, that that is precisely what will take place, that, that, that as I expound on your word to us, that your people would be encouraged, that we would be built up and nourished in, in a way that, 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 that we would derive joy from the gospel, that we would have hope, because of what Jesus has done, and that we would ultimately put our trust in you, not, not just for salvation, but for, for all of life, for everything, that, that we would um, strap ourselves closely, tightly to you, that you would be glorified, and that we would be satisfied. And ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Amen. Um, we, we live in uh, an age of suspicion, don't we? Um, it's kind of the air that we breathe nowadays. You can't turn on the news. You can't go online without finding out some reason to suspect the, the motives or the validity or the truthfulness of, of what someone, anyone has said. And it's not just people in, in high places, people in authority, so often it's the people that we, we sit next to, that we know, the people we work with or are driving next to, hoping that they pass their driver's exam. It's, it's all the time. It seems like a constant thing that we have to second guess other people. Um, and it's not just horizontal in terms of how we trust or don't trust one another. It is, and I think you know this, it's also vertical, right? We, our, our culture, the world in which we live, finds ridiculous the notion that there is one God with all authority in heaven and on earth to tell us what we should do with our time or our abilities or our, our bodies, right? This world, it, it cringes at the notion that we should trust an authority, a divine, sovereign authority, right? Um, and, and you know this because in so many ways, many deities, many gods, many ways of living is okay, even if they claim some sort of authority. But it's, it's when we talk about the God of the Bible who has sole authority over all life and, and call, calls all the gods of this world wood and stone, and when the world backs up and doesn't really have time to hear about this, right? We, we live in an era where it, it seems almost second nature to, to not trust people, to not entrust ourselves to, to anyone. We think really primarily the only person that we can trust is ourselves, and, and even in the church, I think we're tempted uh, to put our hope in what we can do, to trust our own instincts and motives. This is what I should do. This is the Lord's will for my life. We might even say when really what we're doing is putting our trust in ourselves. We think, I know myself. I, I know what I think. I know what I want. I know what's best for me. But this morning, 
I, I want to remind you, refresh you, encourage you, maybe even for some of you, convince you that you can and therefore should trust in the Lord. You can and you should. The, the, the Lord has given us all, every single reason to trust in him and to entrust ourselves to him. And so Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, it explains how we can go about this. It says, trust in the Lord, and, and then outlines exactly what that looks like. It's not just suggested that we trust the Lord, but it is in fact commanded. This is the will of God for his people. Now you may think this sounds like a, a pretty simple idea. The reason I'm here is because I trust the Lord, right? Um, why are we going to spend a, a sermon on this very thing? Couldn't this have been 140 characters or less? And I, I want to tell you that in some ways, yeah, trusting the Lord is a very simple thing. Proverbs says it in four words, trust in the Lord. And yet, I think there, it's possible that we, even as the people of God, and I've already alluded to this, we, we ourselves might be prone to trusting in anything but the Lord, in anyone but the Lord. Um, and so I, I want us to look into Proverbs and see how it develops this idea that we would trust the Lord. What does that mean? What does that look like, practically speaking? So, so let's just work back through it. And, and really, this is my first point. It's, in a lot of ways, my only point, and it's the point of this text. You may feel like this is kind of silly, but it's right there. Point number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. But it's not just as simple as a statement as trust in the Lord. There's so much more here that we need to unpack. We need to trust the Lord with our whole person. With your whole person, with all of your being, trust in the Lord. You notice in verse 5 it says to trust in him with all your heart. Right? To, 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 with the very core of your being, who you are. To, to trust in him. This isn't just a mental assent to some truths that we know, abstract ideas about God that we can conceivably believe and agree with, and yeah, I trust in the Lord. No, I mean, is this the air you breathe? That, that everything you do, every decision you make, every step you take, to quote the police, would be something that, I didn't even mean to do that, would be something that indicates that you, with all of your being, Trust in the Lord with all of your desires, the things that drive the decisions you make that you think are just instinctive. Is it, is it submitted to the authority of, of, of God Almighty? You trust in the Lord with your heart. We need to trust him with our whole person. We need to trust in the Lord with dependence, complete dependence. Again, in verse 5, he says, do not lean on your own understanding. And so in one sense, we read that and we think, right, I shouldn't trust in myself. I, sh I should trust in the Lord. But, but it's, I think it's even more clear than that. It's not just trust in the Lord and not only on yourself, as though there's some sort of balance you can have here. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. Your trust in the Lord should be utter. It should be complete. It should be total dependence. Dependence. 
on him. You know, we, we, we maybe think that we have wisdom um, as though God himself hasn't supplied us with it. But the truth is, even if you were to try to trust in yourself and in the Lord at the same time, how, how silly would that be to think that you, you add a perspective that he doesn't have? To think that you bring something to the table that, that the Lord has somehow forgotten, right? Our trust in him should be total dependence. Our trust in the Lord should also be with our whole life, our whole life. Not just our whole person, but in, in all circumstances, right? In, in all times, whether it is high or low, whether things are easy or incredibly difficult, whether there is pain and suffering or joy and gladness, we're called to trust in the Lord with our whole lives. Maybe when you think about trusting in the Lord, you think primarily of trusting him with your salvation, of trusting him with your eternity. But that's only part of it. And, and not only that, why would you entrust yourself to the Lord for your eternity, but not for right here and now? You'll give him infinity days, but you can't give him the 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Some of us, 100 years, right? Um, entrusting the Lord and entrusting ourselves to him is an entire life in every moment in all aspects of our life. Romans 8, uh, verse 31 through 32 says, what, what should we say to these things? Paul has explained the gospel. He's gotten into how pervasive grace is in the life of the Christian. He says, what should we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here's the kicker. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What the Lord has provided for us in Christ is not just for eternity, but it, it is for all of life. There is not one good gift that he will withhold from his children. And, and I know this, and you can know this, because he gave us his only son. The Lord cares deeply about your life. Therefore, you can entrust yourself to him. A few other thoughts here about trusting in the Lord. We're called to trust in the Lord as it pertains to ourselves with humility. Verse 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. The idea here being that there's a way in which we can think of ourselves too highly more highly than we ought to. And the Lord tells us that if we are to trust in him, it needs to be with humility. Giving, giving him the benefit of the doubt rather than ourselves. And trusting ourselves to his commands and his laws and his ways, even when they seem unnatural or uninstinctive to us. As it pertains to God, we're called to trust in him with fear and awe. Again, verse 7, fear the Lord, it says. And that, that kind of fear isn't, isn't terror, not dread, but, but awe, wonder, respect, silence, right, in the face of greatness. We're called to, to fear the Lord. And finally, 
our trusting in the Lord means that when it comes to the world and the devil, we are to trust him in holiness, to turn from evil, to flee evil, to turn our backs on the things of this world that the, the world and the devil would call us to, to cherish and value, and to instead value all that the Lord has shown us in his word, all that the Lord has plainly taught us as, as, so that we might be holy as he is holy. To assume that his ways are best, and not blindly, but, but confidently, to know that all that he would have us do is good and right and leads to a righteous life. So maybe you would be asking then, well, okay, trusting in the Lord is a bit more, there's a bit more to it than, than merely just mentally agreeing with the things that he said no, when I trust in the Lord, it, it means that I would trust him with my whole person, my, my de- with dependence on the Lord, with my whole life, with humility, with fear, with holiness. But why? Why should I trust in the Lord? What, what benefit do I derive from trusting in the Lord? What, what good comes of entrusting myself, giving him all of me? What, what comes of that? And the, the, the writer of Proverbs, he explains that there are really two general blessings that, that come about when we trust the Lord. And I think we can summarize it by saying, this is my second point, that trusting the Lord, trusting in the Lord is the best kind of life. It's the best kind of life. If you look at verse 6, there's a promise here. It says that in all your ways acknowledge him and what will happen? He will Make straight your paths. What does that mean? Well, among other things, it means that the, the, the obstacles that we run into in this life, the, the difficulties, the things that would threaten to derail us and throw us off, the Lord will sustain us through them. Maybe even arrange our steps in a way that is, is for our good. That brings us into deeper fellowship with him. Think about the the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in which Jesus says, blessed is the man who, so on and so forth, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. And that word for blessed, we think of as a very holy term, something that that is like Christian jargon. We don't really know what it means, but but at its root, blessed simply means happy. When Jesus gives us the Beatitudes, he's not just saying, here's how you should be. He's saying, this is, this is where happiness is found. And I think the Proverbs, in particular this passage, they, they point us the same direction. If you want to walk in a straight path, trust in the Lord. He goes on to say in, in verse 8 that it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Another way of putting it is medicine to your soul, medicine to your bones. The life of of entrusting yourself to the Lord is restoration. It's wholeness. It's healing. And maybe not necessarily physical healing. I think there's there's maybe there's room for that biblically, but I, I think there's so much more here. I think, I think we, can, we can expect even more than that. 
right? Walking with the Lord and, and trusting ourselves to him is, it brings us into the fullness of what it means to be his creatures made in his image. Now, Romans 8.28, we've, we've been studying Romans and maybe you remember this. A few weeks ago, we, we read Romans 8.28. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Trusting in the Lord is, is, is knowing that the Lord always, infallibly, does good for his children. Right, this, isn't, this isn't as silly as the, the, the statement, the phrase always goes where people say, oh, just let go and let God. This isn't that. This isn't letting go and letting God. This isn't avoiding responsibility for your life. It's, it's, it's not also having a Pollyanna view of the world as though all things will be great and wonderful for you because you've trusted in the Lord. No, this is going forth in the confidence that the Lord supplies to his children who have been bought by the blood of his son and given the guarantee and the surety of his Holy Spirit. That is what trusting in the Lord with your whole life looks like. This isn't, this isn't mere optimism, but it's, it's confidence in what the Lord has done, knowing that he will always continue to be who he is and to act faithfully to his children in the future. He will work good for those whom he has called. There's nothing you can do about it. In the Old Testament, there's a, a, a story that maybe you're familiar with. I, I won't take the time to read it, but in 2 Kings chapter 5, there is a Syrian general, military leader, Syria are not the friends of Israel if you're trying to keep up with what's going on. But he, he's leprous. He has a, a horrible skin disease, and he's seeking some sort of, of healing. And one of, his, uh, one, one of the people that he's captured in battle, this, this young Israelite girl, she tells him about a prophet in Israel. And she explains to him that if he will just go and see this man, that he will find healing. And so he packs his bags. He tells the president of Syria, he says, hey, I got to go to Israel. I got to figure this thing out. There's this girl who's telling me there's a chance I could be healed. And so, she, so he, he, he leaves. He brings a letter written by the king of Syria himself, giving him passage into Israel. He shows up at the king of Israel's door, and he hands him this letter. And, and, and in the letter, as the king of Israel is reading it, he gets into a panic because the letter essentially says, I've sent my general to you for healing. Thanks. And the king, um, he assumes that this is really meant for him, and he, he, he doesn't know what to make of it. He panics. I can't do this. They're trying to start a fight. They know that I can't do this. They're just going to kill us all when I can't do what they know I can't do. But Elisha, the the prophet, he, he shows up and he tells the king, chill out, right? I, I, he means me. And so that we can all prove here that there's a prophet in Israel, I'll meet with a guy, I'll heal him. Actually, he doesn't say he'll meet with him, that's the point. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll heal him though. 
So Naaman, the Syrian, he makes his way towards Elisha's house. But before he even reaches the house, Elisha sends a messenger ahead to him. And the messenger says, hey, look, if you want to be healed, all you need to do is go down to the Jordan River, dip down in about seven times, and you're straight. You can head on. Well, Naaman's a bit offended because he is this mighty military man, and this prophet of God can't even come out to greet him. But not only that, the prophet tells him just to go take a dip in a nasty little river in the middle of backwoods Israel. He says, we have way better rivers and lakes and streams in Syria. I could have done this there. Why did I waste my time coming out here? I thought he was going to come out, greet me, sprinkle his magic holiness dust, and I'd be fine. And he decides in rage to leave because he doesn't understand what is going on. And in his own wisdom, he determines that, that he knows what is best. But his servants, the men gathered around him, they say, hey, you know what? We're here. He did just tell you to get in the river. It seems pretty simple. I mean, why don't we try it? Um, you can hear the exasperation in their voice. And so he, he says, okay, fine. So he goes down to the river. He dips down in the river seven times, and he comes out, and he's healed. And at the end of it, he goes to Elisha because he's got to see him. He's got to meet him. He's got to thank him and acknowledge that there is one true God. And, and at the conclusion, it, it becomes apparent that he, he has put his trust in this God and not in any other and why do I bring that story up? I think it's the perfect illustration of what Proverbs is teaching us here. Which is that we can think we know what is best. We, we can think we understand how to order our lives. But unless we are entrusting ourselves to the Lord, it, it will not go the way that we think. It, it will not go well for us. And not only that, when we do entrust ourselves to the Lord, there is restoration there is wholeness, and there is hope. And you, you may say, okay, well, all this makes sense. I get what Proverbs is trying to say, but I, I just can't muster up in myself the kind of trust, the kind of faith that you're talking about. You know, maybe you, 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 this is not what you mean when you think of trusting in the Lord. Maybe you know that you don't trust in the Lord. It's something that you're just aware of, and, and you're not really sure how to overcome that, how to move past that. I mean, you don't want to. You're just here. What are some obstacles to, to trust? What are obstacles to trusting in the Lord? I think there are, well, there are several, but I, I think we can summarize them in, in two sorts of ways. One is that we, we sin, right? Sin is an obstacle to trusting in the Lord. It is something that, that severs, that cuts off the relationship that we can otherwise have with him. It, it gets in the way. And not just sin in general, but in particular, the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. In which we trust ourselves rather than, than God. That, that is truly what worry is. That is what unbelief is. It's, it's not necessarily that we don't believe anything. It's that we believe ourselves rather than God. We trust ourselves and our own judgment more than we trust in the Lord's, and it causes us to, 
panic or to, to act in ways that are opposed to what he would have us do. It's not just sin, though. It's not just unbelief, but, but even our own circumstances, right? You, you may think to yourself, this is not how I imagine my life would be. The life of someone who's trusting in the Lord should not look like this. I thought the Lord had better for me. Right? I thought the Lord had better in store for him or for her. Or sometimes, if we're honest, I thought the Lord would do a little worse to them. Right? Because of our own circumstances, we, we, we tend to put these things up as a reason why the Lord is somehow not trustworthy. But I hope you see that, that again, it is simply putting your trust in your own judgment rather than in the Lord's judgment and discernment and understanding. You know, he knows everything. You know, he knows what's best in all circumstances. Why, why do we so often, even Christians, why are we tempted to put our hope in and our trust in our own perspective? As though we have the perspective of God who is sovereign over all, who sees all and knows all. The bottom line is that our sinful state means that we need to be reconciled to God. Our unbelief, our, our, our sinful understanding of the things around us, the things that, that we see going on around us, all of this is just the fruit of our need for reconciliation with God. Because at heart, no one trusts God. No one can trust him. We are his enemies. And we, I think, we know this instinctively. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the same ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, I, right now, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The antidote to our inability to trust the Lord, as Proverbs calls us to do, is not gritting our teeth and bearing it. It's not having a better understanding of deep things of theology. If I just knew the ways of God more, I would trust him better. No. The only way that we will trust the Lord as we ought, and this is my third point, is through the cross. The cross alone is the grounds for our trust in God. The cross alone is the grounds for our trust in God. And this is for several reasons. In, in, in particular, first of all, Christ has perfectly demonstrated what it means to trust in the Lord. If you turn to Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44, it reminds us that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples. He knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. 
This is is our Savior we're talking about. This is Jesus Christ. Moments before his crucifixion, in agony, he prayed more earnestly because he knew who his Father was. He knew who his Father is and entrusted himself to the Lord's judgment, to the Lord's own plan for how to accomplish the redemption of his people. But it's not just in Jesus' example that we see what it means to trust in the Lord and, and, and therefore trust in him ourselves. It, it is because our sin, specifically the sin of unbelief, has been overcome at the cross by Jesus himself. Let me think about it. We know that Jesus died for our sins, and we can think of all kinds of examples of what sin looks like and is. But if you don't have a category for how unbelief is itself a sin, really at the most foundational, fundamental level, then you don't, you don't know the depth of all that Christ has done. It is only because Jesus died for our sins, including the sin of unbelief, that we ourselves can have faith. Jesus died so that we would trust in the Lord. This was not wishful thinking on his part. This was the purpose and plan of his death. You remember earlier, Springer read for us from Mark chapter 9 about the father whose child is having seizures and is oppressed by demons. And what does he cry out to the Lord to say? He at first says, if you can do anything, this is Mark chapter 9 verse 22, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, and he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Through the grace of God, this man realized and saw that the only way he would trust in Christ fully is if Christ brought it about. Help my unbelief. I'm weak and I'm frail and I don't trust you. I don't believe. I can't see how any of this is good, how any of this accords with the will of God. I can't understand what it is that I'm supposed to do or maybe this is the result of something that I have done. I don't know. Help me. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus says yes. And he helps him in his unbelief. And he doesn't just help him there at the cross. He overcomes this unbelief. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus very boldly, very clearly states that no one can come to him unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. The work of salvation, the work of trusting in the Lord is is all ultimately the work of God. Therefore, there is no doubt, there should be no worry, there should be no speculation, there should be no lack of assurance because it all hinges not on you or on how you feel, but on what the Lord has done, on what he's done through Christ. So put your hope 
put all your chips in with him. Lean not on your own understanding, but turn and trust in Christ. Not some abstract notion of God, not some blind optimism. Put your hope in the Savior who accomplished and accomplishes everything that he sets out to do, including bringing his own into the fold. He will do it. This is the Father's promise to us, and his promises are always fulfilled by the Son and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 22, says this, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him, it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, our so be it, to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us, the down payment, the guarantee, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In other words, to, to properly trust in the Lord is to trust in Jesus Christ. It is to put your hope in him alone. It is to entrust yourself to him, to his care, to his work, to his faithfulness, not your own. It's to do this with your whole person, with, with utter dependence on him, not on yourself. With your whole life, with every area of your life, there is not a moment where Jesus does not reign supreme if you are his. With humility, with fear and awe, and in holiness, walking according to all that he has told us. This is what it means to trust in the Lord. In a moment, we are going to sing together. And I asked Paul if, if we could sing a song in particular. It just kind of came to mind. I want to read it to you, though. Uh, just read the lyrics to you of this old hymn, and then, and then we're going to sing it together. And, and when we do that, sing, sing freely. Sing as though you mean it, right? Hear these words. This is the the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. It says, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know 
that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Let's pray together. Father, it is only through your Son that we come before you. It's, it's by the power of your Spirit that you animate our souls, that we might sing your praise, that we might know you truly, and that we might trust you and entrust ourselves to your loving, fatherly care. Lord, there, there is nothing that we can do to muster up the trust that you call us to. Even the, even the author of Proverbs, he, he knows that trusting in you means we, we abandon all hope in ourselves. We would lean not on our own understanding. That we would not lean on the ways of this world. But that we would look to you and acknowledge you in all of our ways. I pray this morning that for those in here who do not believe, who do not trust in you, that somehow by your mercy you would open their eyes to see the gospel for what it truly is. No mere works of man, it is the work of the Son of God that, that he died in our place for us. That he overcame all of our sin, even, especially, sin of unbelief. And that in power he calls us to himself. In fact, there is no other way that we can come to you apart from, from your will. Please, Lord, draw us in now. Build us up as we sing your praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.